You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. Today we're talking addiction, recovery, through treatment. Addiction is a major scourge in our society, and in South Africa, it's become more and more prolific. I don't think there's one listener today that doesn't know somebody or themselves having been impacted by a family member or close friend who's been taken in through addiction, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, even gambling. I even heard there's sex addiction. It's just quite bizarre. Joining me is Adele Krobler, and she's from Randad. Adele, welcome to the show. Thank you. Adele, at Rand Aid, you represent a specific section. You you have a department. What is that department? The Rehabilitation Center is the Wedge Gardens Treatment Center, and we've first been registered in 1943. So we're definitely not a fly-by-night. So registered 1943 for rehabilitation? For rehabilitation. So I guess in those days it was primarily alcohol with a couple of cases of morphine back then. Yeah, um, uh, Randad then only took um, alcoholics 28 years and older because that was the trend. You know, people played in their 20s. And the drug of choice didn't crystallize out uh, early. So by 28, you knew whether you're working with a drug addict or an alcoholic. Well, in the first minute of the show, you've just taught me something brand new. I didn't actually know that, and, and that is very, very interesting. So for those listening, this particular organization that falls under the Rand Aid umbrella has been treating addiction since 1943. What kind of addictions do you treat today, Adele? Today we treat everything. You've got your substance addictions, which is all the various drugs like tuck, um, alcohol, cocaine, um, cat. Uh, and then you get your process addictions, which is behavioral addictions. That is more sex addiction, gambling addiction, debtors addiction, addiction to bad relationships. Um, so that's various can I ask you this? I understand the physical addiction that you've just mentioned of alcoholism, drugs, etc. But when we start talking about behavior, such as a sex addiction or a debt addiction or, you know, getting into bad relationships, is this not just giving an excuse to somebody for their behavior? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, addiction in general is a brain disease, and it works in the pleasure center of the brain. So if somebody sits behind a gambling machine, the rush of, oh, I might win, I might win, is almost the same as um, addiction, a substance addiction. Very often it goes hand in hand, like sex addiction and cocaine addiction is linked about 90%. And they will relapse on the sex addiction before they relapse on the substance addiction. Adele, let's talk about gambling. There's been some horror stories about gambling addiction. I've been told by some people that it is harder to get off gambling than in some instances to get off heroin. I've heard Horror stories where people have literally pawned everything like we would imagine a drug addict to do so that they could support that drug addiction. Um, but in this case, it was a gambling addiction. And there was a horror story a few years ago at Carnival City where a gambler actually murdered his wife and his two children, then turned the gun on himself. Uh, because he had nothing left, literally. He had lost everything through gambling and he saw no way out of it. Do you think that there's been an increase in this type of addiction? And why, in your opinion, are we seeing an increase, if there has been an increase, in these behavioral types of addictions? You know, people like a substance abuse addiction would always, um, after the first time, they would go for the rush. And you never get the rush the first time. Because in your brain, your memory 
doesn't have a memory of what's a high. So once you use drugs the first time, you experience a high. And then they would always chase the high, but it's never the same high again because you've taken a picture it's in your memory base And that's the same with um, gambling And people A lot of people think there's an easy way Out of debt And and that's why they fall into that trap And they might have won a little bit Here and there And um, it, it becomes compulsive It's very sad Because when one looks at the setup of a casino It's set up for the house to win And it's the kind of addiction Where people lose their friends, they lose track of time, they lose track of everything, and eventually they're on the street exactly the same as any other addict. Do you find it harder for gamblers and sex addicts to admit they've got a problem than those others that have that physical um, addiction to a substance where there's a physical substance involved, such as a narcotic or alcohol? Not necessarily. The only thing with a sex addiction which makes it slightly different is that, you know, your normal needs is to have sex. So it's, you can't, you can't, um, proclamate, um, abstinence. Um, so, so that makes it a little bit difficult to handle. But for the rest, the one thing that all addiction has in common is that people lose time. And that's what they want because they don't want to face reality. So they go and sit and gamble or they'll snort or whatever, and time goes by. So they lose a lot of time. They uh, don't necessarily acknowledge the amount of time that they lose all the time. Um, and it spirals out of control. It would start slowly, and eventually it spirals out of control. Tell me a bit about yourself. How did you get involved in helping people with rehabilitation? What's your background and how long have you been with Randaid? I'm addicted to addicts. <laughs> um, I've been involved in Rand Aid for about 24 years. I've been back now 21 years this year. Um, I'm a social worker and I've got my degree in, honors degree in psychology. So it, it's, it was a passion. So when you say you're addicted to addicts, I always used to say to people that were coming out of addiction and were going into recovery that they were becoming addicted to the rooms and they would have a different room to go to a different night where they would meet with, with people from either Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, etc. I suppose that's a positive addiction. Um, your program, do you follow the 12-step program at your organization? We've got, we run the 12-step program in conjunction with a professional program. Uh, the reason for that is with the type of uh, drugs that you get on the street nowadays, it causes psychiatric disorders. Um, so you can't run a 12-step program only. You need professionals that would be able to diagnose what dual diagnosis there is. In our center at the moment, I would say 90% of the patients has got a dual diagnosis with either schizophrenia, bipolar, depression. So you need professional input in order to treat that because otherwise that, that causes relapses on the long term. When we come back, we're going to talk about drug-induced psychosis, something that Adele has just touched on and something that needs to be discussed. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. 
I'm chatting to Dalkrobler from Rand Aid, and she is in the rehabilitation center, assisting with the rehabilitation of addicts, primarily drug addicts, alcoholics, sex addicts, gambling addicts, etc. Before we went to break, I mentioned that I want to chat about drug-induced psychosis. Adele, we're seeing it more and more. We're seeing where parents have actually murdered their own children. It's not one isolated case of a lady on the Cape Flats now, which was actually made into a movie. There's now multiple instances where family members have been driven to actually murder their own family members because what those family members put them through, they could just not continue anymore. What are we talking now when we talk about drug-induced psychosis? Why has it become so prolific? Uh, your problem is that your, your drugs that you buy on the streets, like Dacha, a lot of kids uh, think that um, by smoking clean dacha, and it's laced with heroin, cocaine, tuck, name it. And um, unfortunately, you know, the kids don't know it. They smoke it, and it triggers in the brain, and they become psychotic, uh, which means that they lose touch with reality. Some of them become ex- extremely aggressive, start biting like dogs. They think they bears or whatever. So they see and experience things that the people around them don't experience. We've had a, a listener send in, and please, if you send us a message, please be so kind as to include your name so that I can send you a shout-out. Unfortunately, I've just got a phone number here. It's a, it's a bit of a strange message, so I'm going to read it to you. It says, you don't have to read this out. Um, I was told I was addicted to morphine, and I was sent to rehab for months. I was told to even say I'm an addict, and I was in denial. I came off morphine. I was in severe pain, and MRI showed a spinal tumor in T3. Then I was diagnosed with spinal degeneration. All of a sudden, I wasn't an addict, but in chronic pain. At least I got to see our rehab centers help others. Well done. All right, well, before I give that to Adele, I think um, from my side, um, if, uh, it's, it's understandable if you're in pain and it was undiagnosed. Um, people would think that it could be a phantom pain. So I think you, and thank you for your, me- for your message, are more the exception than the rule. Adele? Yeah, we do get people that um, unfortunately has been in car accidents and things like that. Doctors are readily handy to give you a morphine drip that you control yourself. And uh, then you don't get visitors. And if you press the green button, you fall asleep. And unfortunately, from um, needing the medication to wanting the medication is a very thin line. So uh, you you reward yourself by pressing the button and you fall asleep. And that is how addiction actually starts. Well, thank you for that. Um, and I hope that answered the question of the listener. I think you were the other way around. You never knew why you had pain. Everybody thought you were addicted and perhaps it was a phantom pain. And only after the MRI was done was it found that you actually had um, a tumor. I really hope for your sake that that tumor healed and that once the pain was gone, you were able to, to kick the habit. But something like morphine or pethidine, much like Welcanoa in the old days, is very addictive. And it's it's a physical addiction. You must remember the days of pinks. Um, I grew up in Hillbrow. My first posting as a police officer was Hillbrow. And Welconol was the drug of choice because our borders were so tight, you couldn't really get other drugs into South Africa. Are there any remaining um, pink addicts? Um, not not as a rule. They, they're more isolated. And I suppose with, with heroin entering the borders, etc., they may have gone from Welconol to heroin or to pethidine or to morphine. Yeah. The, the old drugs, uh, the one remaining is Mandrax. Buttons. Yeah. <laughs> it's bizarre how two drugs that were scheduled drugs for medicinal purposes in 
in, in, in pain and in surgery, mandrakes and Walcott were abused because we never had hard drugs available on the streets. What are you seeing an increase of? Um, you know what? It's almost like the, the, um, uh, hot spots at the spa. There's, there's always something on special. So for us, in the last month, we had a lot of ticket missions. So it all also depends on what the police siege, because sometimes they, they, um, take heroin and then cat will go on special because there's an overload of cat on the streets. So overall, in the months, heroin is definitely on the increase, but so is crystal meth. It's frightening because crystal meth is not something that needs to be imported. It's something that can be manufactured locally, whereas heroin, South Africa, has become a massive transshipment point, and as a result of that, they're cutting the loads when it comes into South Africa while it lies in transit. South Africans are landing up using it in Yorpe, in Wunga, in a whole lot of other combinations. But what you said about the crystal is fascinating. Do people not realize what they're consuming? Could you tell our listeners what you know um, crystal meth to actually contain okay i'm going to start with most of your crystal meth patients starts with cat which is a little bit more expensive so as they graduate they go on to tuck which is also an upper um there is everything and anything in crystal meths when they start cooking it up two-thirds of what they cook is absolutely chemical waste so they only use a third um, and that is what you put in your body. You know, I wouldn't like to give you a recipe on air, but you can think of any, any cleaning detergents. They throw in anything. And, um, they also have, uh, uh, drug where the, you almost test positive for everything on a drug test. There's a little bit of everything in. You test positive for amphetamine, methamphetamine, um, cat, cocaine, everything. It's absolutely scary. Um, do you take in your pair patients? Yes, we do. We've got quite a lot. Nyorpe seems to be the scourge of the township. Is that because they're using very low-grade quality um, heroin? Is it very addictive? I see that they're actually injecting it in some instances. Yes, I think I think if you look at the history of New York, your drug dealers really battled to get hard drugs into the townships. And and they they started with New York and they lace it in three methods. They would either plant it and uh, water it with heroin water, which is a lower grade of heroin but it's still there. Uh, once you reject it, they might throw the heroin open into the cigarette that you see it. Um so, so yeah, they do it in various ways, but that is how they get customers. Because with a normal dacha uh, joint, you you don't get the withdrawal one, you know, initially. Whereas with heroin, you go through muscle cramps, stomach cramps. So these withdrawal symptoms immediately, and the only thing that sort of solves that is using again. And then what they did was, I'll give you your joint for free if you bring your friend to go and buy a joint. I need to ask you this. In terms of relapse, how bad is relapse in terms of what you've seen return patients or hearing that patients you've had in recovery have fallen off the wagon? Um, I think our, our success rate on hard drugs is very much the international norm where it's a third, third, third. A third of the people addict community will overdose or accidental overdose. A third will keep on trying 
till eventually the day they die, and you've got a third success. Um, in some townships, we've had very good successes with New Yorkie. It's very sad. It's actually heartbreaking. Um, before I ask you about how the public can help you and you give your the contact particulars or the website, um, your personal opinion on the legalization of cannabis for personal use? Um, you know, there's, there's two sides to it. Um, I'm against it, obviously, because I see what normal Dacha do as well. You know, a lot of your teenagers, they can guarantee that they don't sell it to, to teenagers, but we all know they do. They smoke, they drink, and they smoke Dacha. Um, so there is a big misconception in the community about the legalization. People think they can walk in the streets and, and smoke. Um, so, yes, I'm against it because youngsters is going to take it. Research showed that if you, the younger you start, the greater the chances in your 20s to become uh, schizophrenic. Uh, that's the one thing. The other thing that we see now is that a lot of mining companies and so on never tested their miners to go down the shaft. And now that it's legalized, they started testing them. So, oops, you know, they intoxicated in working hours. And people don't understand that, that it's a, a substance that causes change in your body and your, your cognitive processes and things like that. Is RAND aid self-supporting or do they need help from the public? No, they definitely need help from the public. We're definitely not in the addiction business to become rich. And you get a lot of fly-by-night rehabilitation centers that, that don't run a full program. And, um, you know, they, they fold as well. That's why I said we're definitely not a fly-by-night. How can the public help you? We've recently started a, a, a halfway house and we would like to start a working skills development program because a lot of our patients also hasn't conf- uh, haven't finished schooling. So we would like to offer carpentry courses and things like that. And we need tools. So how can they get in contact with your organization, Adele? Uh, well, our telephone number at uh, Wedge Gardens is 011. Adele, thank you so much for joining us today. It was so pleasant having somebody who's been in the industry for so long and could speak to us in a manner and fashion that we could understand. It's a scourge that's destroying our youth. It's even destroying people that are, that are in their, in their, in their, um, retirement ages. I've heard of people that are suffering addiction in their 60s, their 70s, and their 80s. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the invite.